Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitor. Hello and welcome to Long Time Shorts, a new series of shorter than usual episodes of A Long Time in Finance, each one of which gives you a quick hit of financial history from the debt jubilee of ancient Babylon to the latest crypto calamities. So I thought as a subject today, we talk a little bit about Dutch financial history. And the specific subject I want to talk about is actually a thing. It's a sheet of goatskin. It's roughly 22 centimetres by 27 centimetres and densely covered in Gothic script. Sounds fascinating. And these Mm. days you'll find it in the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library at Yale University in the United States. So this bit of goatskin is a bond and it was issued on the 15th of May 1648 to a Mr. Nicholas de Meyer for the sum of a thousand Carolus guilders of 20 stivers apiece. And according to its original terms, it would pay 5% interest in perpetuity. Now, 15th of May 1648 is actually a big date in Dutch history. I'm sure you can tell us <laughs> what, what, what its significance is, Neil. Uh, the Treaty of um, something or other. Well, it was. It was a treaty. It was a treaty of, it was a treaty of Munster. Of which course. Brings, yeah. Everyone knows this. It <laughs> brings to an end the 80 years war between Holland and Spain and confirms Holland's independence. So it's a big day. But it's also an important date in financial history because the promise that was made to Mr. De Meyer that day was kept and is still being kept even now, even though his descendants no longer own the bond. It's at Yale, as we said. Mr. De Meyer's bond is not quite the oldest in the world. I think there's one dating from 1624, funnily enough, by the same issuer. But it is still paying interest 374 years after it was issued. And it was issued by a Dutch organisation that I'm going to attempt to pronounce. I apologise in advance to any Dutch listeners, because <laughs> oh, it's actually on. incredibly difficult. It's the Hochemradschap Leichtdeich Bovendams, hereafter known as HLB. And it's absolutely central to this story. What is it and why did it issue the bonds? I'm sure you're... And Absolutely uh, longing to ask me. Yeah, it's a, obviously a canal company. I'll write again. <laughs> You've been looking at my notes. <laughs> There's nothing like inside basically, information. It's basically, so HLB was a water authority and it was established in 1323 by the Bishop of Utrecht in what's now the Netherlands. Basically a group of landowners and merchants from the city who build and maintain a whole system of polders, dikes and all the what's, what not that you have in Holland around the Lower Rhine floodplain, and it taxes local farmers and merchants to keep the canals and sea defences in repair. Now, Utrecht is important for this story because it's a major hub for this sort of activity, mainly because its river, which is the sort of Lower Rhine, became unnavigable in the Middle Ages and was dammed up. So it had to build itself a new canal to another river called the Lek, (laughs) which all its trade is carried. This is a long time in finance. Well, 1323. (laughs) Now, I think three of the oldest surviving bonds in history are all issued by this single organisation, HLB. So what's so special about them? I'm sure, once again, you're longing to ask me, why are they still being met centuries later? Because they have no redemption date. 
Ah, that's a very good point. So they, they, they do indeed. And we did a podcast not long ago on debt with James McDonald, who explained a bit about why in olden times people used to tend to issue perpetual bonds. And it's all to do with medieval usury laws. If you basically have a redemption date, you're deemed to be a usurer and the church doesn't like it. But if you don't have one, even though you can redeem it, you get round. <laughs> it's a sort of terrific piece of, what do we call it? Regulatory arbitrage. <laughs> Yes. Ecclesiastical. Well, of course, we had our own in the UK rather later than that, in the form of war loan. Yes. Well, we're not going to talk about that again. (laughs) But we did indeed redeem that in about 2015. So why do these water boards, why does this particular water board have this tremendous record of continuing to pay its debts many, many centuries after they were issued, apart from the fact that they were perpetuals? Because there's Lots of other perpetual bonds were issued in the Middle Ages, which had long ceased, despite their perpetual yeah. term to pay anything to yeah. their unfortunate. And there are czarist railway bonds and the like, yeah. which paper the, the lavatories across the United Kingdom. The holders are perpetually waiting for the next income. Yeah. So uh, to understand why these water boards are so good at paying their debts, you have to understand a little bit about medieval Dutch history and this concept known as the Dyke Army. <laughs> Do you know what a dyke army is? Uh, I shudder to think. It's no, slightly it's confusing, you, no, isn't it? No, no, no. It's all about polders. So between 800 and 1250, Holland goes through this massive expansion as agriculture and trade increases and the population grows tenfold. Farmers start reclaiming marshland in, in the Netherlands to create new arable land to feed this growing population. But when they train the marshes, they come into a problem, which is basically the already low-lying land sinks and gets inundated again by the sea. So they have to build polders and dikes. And in 1100, in West Friesland, which is once again part of Holland, they established a concept known as the dike peace, which said that whenever a dike is endangered, family feuds must be set aside so people can rally around and protect the dike. And and you summon out this thing, the dike army, to go and repair the dike so you don't get inundated. It makes absolute sense when you think about it. Yes, I, I'm waiting for so, the explanation for the well, bond. Well, just as, just, as, just as the feudal system turns into a financial system of obligations, so the dyke army, which is originally a group of Dutch people with hoes and spades, gets turned into a system of financial taxation. And the water boards are the organisations which basically maintain the dikes. They raise money through taxes and bond issues to maintain the system of polders and dikes. Now, I'm not going to attempt to say it again because it's too difficult. HLB actually continues to exist until 1971, when it's sort of wrapped into some sort of wider water authority in Holland. And these days it becomes part of the Hugemraadschap die Stichter Rinlanden. And that is an authority that continues to pay interest on the bonds today. Uh, what is the moral of if this you have story? Any questions. <laughs> <laughs> there are other organisations which could possibly have survived almost as long. Yeah. But why did this one particularly? Why at no stage did it go bust? Well, which is what normally happens. Well, I, I think the reason why is because, first of all, it's pretty central to existence in the Netherlands not to be flooded out. Secondly, they had a very rare thing in that they were almost autonomous organisations which had tax-raising powers. And that meant even when the government got itself into a terrible pickle and couldn't pay its debts, which even Holland happened from time to time, although they were pretty good, 
this organization and authorities like it continued basically because they were at arm's length from the government they were because they were so central to farmers and landowners existence mm. they continued to be able to function they it, survived it's a bit of a quirk isn't it because you'd have expected them to be nationalized and just absorbed into the general government obligations government debts which well, maybe it's a rare case of something which works, basically just being left alone. Yeah, well, that's... It very of, rarely happens, but sometimes... I was going to say that's, that's, against, a, that's against nature, isn't no, it? No, 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 it's not. It's, I think if you have something which is, as I say, absolutely essential to preserve the landscape around you, it gives you a stronger incentive not to meddle with it, but to leave it be if it works. But anyway, that's just my view. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but back to, back to Mr. DeMeyer... How would he and his family be doing if they still held the bonds four centuries on? Well, the interest rate. Now, this, this is another thing which we talked about in the podcast we did with James McDonald on debt. We talked about how interest rates on perpetual bonds could be reduced when general interest rates fell and the bond, because bonds move in whatever inverse direction to interest rates, went to above par, you could threatened to redeem it unless you had a cut in the interest rate and that did happen on this occasion in twice with this bond it fell first to three and a half percent and then to two and a half percent in the 17th century probably because holland was at peace with spain after the 80 years war and therefore interest rates came down again the parallel with war loan is accurate because the interest rate on war loan was reduced to three and a half percent but despite the cut in the interest rate which would obviously be a bit annoying if you were one of mr de Meyer's descendants the actually much bigger killer would have been inflation thousand carolus guilders in 1648 were worth roughly sixty thousand dollars in today's money so he was clearly a pretty wealthy man to have bought a bond for that amount and it would have been an annuity which could have kept a family in quite a lot of comfort i should imagine in the mid-17th century now those same guilders have depreciated by about 99%, and the bond's worth about $500. If you can get your <laughs> paws on a Carolus guilder to pay for it. I was going to say, they're not paying the interest in guilders, I don't suppose. No, they're not. They're paying in euros. Yeah. Uh, but, but that said, all may not be lost, because another HLB water bond dating from 1634 sold for $47,000 in 2000. <laughs> So uh, then that, you took a bit of a haircut, but it wasn't <laughs> such a savage one. That, that may be not entirely because of the interest that you could expect to get from it. But the annual interest is still a bit thin. It's basically about 13 euros a year in current exchange rate. And you have to collect it in person at the offices of the Hohenrad Schap, Lechdijk Boffendam. So in 2015, Yale sent one of its officials to collect 12 years of back interest on the Demeyer bond. And you can see that it's not particularly economic to fly all the way across the Atlantic to collect a no. $13 coupon. But, you know, the promise on the security written in Holland's golden age, the era of Rembrandt, still holds good. And I think, I think the basic, I don't think there's much of a moral to this story other than uh. I just like talking about Dutch history. But I do think <laughs> that, I do think that, well, I'm just going to read to you the little subscription where the secretary on the bond, the original bond. It says, the interest from the bond is free and clear is of this all a, Is taxes. this in Dutch? Or? No, I've translated it for oh, you. right. 
the interest from bond is free and clear of all taxes and levies of whatever nature, with no exceptions. Under these conditions, I and all the secretaries of the Polder Union who succeed me will be obligated to make interest payments or to redeem the bond. I place my signature and seal on this, obligating myself and all the secretaries who may succeed me to respect the contents. And they did. Yes, it's interesting that he should claim that it's tax-free because does he have the right not to impose taxes? OK, stop nitpicking. But I want to go on to focus on the broader picture. <laughs> People often think about, when they think about Dutch finance, they sometimes think about tulips and all that sort of stuff. But I think this is a much better reflection of the Dutch approach and is a reason, in my view, why even all these centuries later, despite the fact that Holland is a relatively small part of the global economy, it remains a financial centre, whereas places like Florence and Genoa are at one with Nineveh and Tyre. <laughs> <laughs> that was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Production and editing by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us.